This message comes from NPR sponsor, Lisa. When you buy a Lisa mattress, you're not the only one getting a better night's rest. Lisa donates thousands of mattresses each year to shelters and those in need. Learn more about Lisa at leesa.com. How do you take something old from your past and make it something new while staying true to the original and to yourself? I'm Gregory Warner, host and creator of the podcast Rough Translation. We just wrapped up our season, Love Commandos. And as you may know, I am now looking for a new home for Rough Translation, the show that's very close to my heart. So I've been thinking a lot about what I've done with the show that I want to stay true to, and also how I might change the show to fit a changing world. That's why I am so excited to bring you this bonus episode, which is all about those questions seen through the lens of music. Because if you like podcasts, you probably have thoughts about podcast music. Music sets the stage for the stories we're about to hear. It stops us in our tracks or sets us off on a journey. For example, you might recognize this tune. It was composed for Rough Translation by John Ellis, the jazz clarinetist and saxophonist. I love so much about this tune, especially the way each instrument sort of arrives and announces itself and then joins the ensemble, makes it something new. It seems to fit the theme of Rough Translation, which is about how familiar conversations change when they enter unfamiliar territory. For the last six years, that tune has been the go-to theme of Rough Translation. But for this season, for Love Commandos, we decided to do something different. We put out a tweet asking new composers to reimagine that theme. And we ended up working with Amira Gill and Vasundar Gupta, who goes by Vasu. I love this theme, too. I love it on its own. I love telling stories against it. I mean, even now, I just I don't want to stop. I, I want to keep telling you stories when I hear this music. And actually, today's conversation showed me why I love telling stories against this theme so much. Turns out that was all very much by design. We're going to get to that and to so much more in this conversation. But first, let me just ask our composers, John, Amira, and Vasu, to introduce yourself and tell me where you're joining from. I'm uh, Amira, Amira Gill, and I'm in New Delhi, and it is uh, an amazing 10.50 at night for me here. So I'm the only one who's seeing darkness outside, <laughs> but I'm really happy to be here. I'm Basundra Gupta. You can call me Basu. I'm currently in Seattle, Washington. And it's also darkness because I'm in a, in a closed studio space. <laughs> uh, I'm John Ellis. Uh, I'm in the East Village, New York City. It's, uh, it's overcast, but it's uh, very much daytime. Great. Well, John, let's just start right away with you. I want to take you back to a scene that I remember at the original recording of the Rough Translation theme. So I got to be there. I got to watch you do your thing. You were there with a bunch of musicians. And I have this memory of that someone brought their vibes from home, but they didn't fit in the car. So they had to like rent a van because there was, it was, it was like such a huge instrument. We, we tried to pull out all the stops for you. I think that was probably the marimba. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, I mean, what I remember is that it was a bit of a leap of faith for you because we were doing it live. We were doing it as live musicians. Right. And so you were very anxious to sort of hear in advance what it was going to sound like. And I had to kind of constantly say, well, this, you got to trust me on this. We'll, we'll, 
make something that you like, which I could feel your hesitancy and your anxiousness. So I was tried to sort of overshoot and give you like as many options as possible. But, you know, we were looking for things that had a lot of mood and, and yeah, that my friend was playing marimba and vibes and we had a, like a full size concert marimba. So yeah, I think that was a bit challenging to figure out how to get all that set up. But Well, the live instruments thing, we had a lot of discussions about that, why we wanted yeah. to use live instruments, even though digital is more of the podcast norm. It's more predictable. It's cheaper. We went with live instruments for the human element, I remember. That, sure. that, was, that was part of the spirit of the show. So we sure, had a lot of discussions about accordion or not accordion. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I was pro-accordion for sure. I am an accordion player. Some folks may know that. And so I'm curious, in all those discussions that we had about the spirit of the show and then for you translating the show, which did not have a single episode at that time. I mean, it was a, right. it was a new podcast. What was your process of working with our ideas about the show and translating that into a theme, into a composition? Well, you know, there was, that was challenging. There was you, there was my friend Marianne, who had brought me to you. Right. Um, Marianne McCune, she was our founding editor. Right, right. And uh, you had some kind of demo thing that you played for me that was something that you liked, that you had gravitated to, that was a strong kind of bass hook in it. I think it was S-Town, which mm-hmm. it's based in the South. There's a real sense of place in the music. So in creating the theme, did you have in mind anything that was part of the theme of the show that we were talking about, like the idea of translation or idea of travel, crossing borders? Was that part of it or was that really not your process? You know, the music that I make, especially with live instruments, there's always like a hybrid aspect to it. You know, these instruments have different, they come from different countries, they have different histories. I mean, accordion is a, that's one of the reasons we talked about it so much. It's an instrument that has found itself into folk musics of many different cultures. So there's the music itself, and then there's the story that we tell about the music. And sometimes we tell the story about the music often enough that that's really mostly what we are remembering. But the, the, the music is also very important, just the music itself. And I felt like if I gave you enough music to hang your stories on, you could make the music be what you felt like it needed to be, if that makes sense. So let me bring in Amira and Vasu into this discussion because um, you guys have been living with John's music for a little stretch, but I also just want to talk about your careers. Amira, you're a vocalist and songwriter. Basu, you're a producer, vocalist, and sound designer, both born in India. Basu from Kolkata and Amira from Delhi. And I'm just kind of curious, tell me about your music individually, how you met, how, why you decided to collaborate on this project. So I, you know, I started doing music when I was 15, performing a lot, doing original music in English. And uh, it was all performance-based, and I wanted to go and educate myself. And so I applied to Berkeley in Boston. And at Berkeley, I met my best friend, Vasu, who we hadn't ever obviously connected in India, but we completely hit it off when we came to Boston. We were very similar, very different in a lot of ways, became roommates. And then again, journeys took us in separate ways. I sing. So I wanted to explore different kinds of music and like uh, started participating in different ensembles, Greek, Turkish music, uh, Bulgarian, Indian ensemble. And so that folk element, Indian element was really like flourishing. And so, yeah, Vasu, maybe take that away and then take us to the next stage of the story. So how did, why did you guys want to take on this project? Yeah, sure. 
so my musical journey, um, I, I come from a world of music. The, the whole family is like they love listening to all sorts of music. So I grew up with Indian classical. I grew up with Brian Adams. I grew up with Beatles. I grew up with like Paul Moria and French music, like, all sorts of weird things at that age. And then I met Amira fast forward to 2014. Uh, I I also went to Berkeley College of Music and I met her there. I I then started started just dwelling into this world of music. I never knew there was so much in it. That got me into electronic music and composition. I found myself getting really interested in in that space. Now I do UX sound design uh, full time and then I do my own music on the side. But as Mira said, growing up in India, you can't ignore the music there. There's music everywhere. There's folk music. Every state has their own folk music, sort of. Uh, there's Bollywood music or film music. Hmm. It's just present in your everyday life. And when we're working on projects like these, we really hone into that part of us. And then there's also this aspect that we're modern age women of 2023 um, who grew up in India but were educated in the U.S. but have very strong roots there. I live in Seattle now but there are very strong roots for both of us um, in India and we're at this cusp where we respect our roots and our tradition and classical music but also totally are open to everything else. Um, we try to incorporate all our other inspirations from all parts of the yeah. world and this is what brings us here This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health slash What's Your Why. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Lisa. Join Lisa in the pursuit of better sleep for a better world. When you buy a Lisa mattress, you're not the only one getting a better night's rest. You're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Visit lisa.com to learn more. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com. The NPR app cuts through the noise, bringing you local, national, and global coverage. No paywalls, no profits, no nonsense. Download it in your app store today. There was so much that jumped out to us about your initial ideas, your initial themes, partly to do with um, this question that we're always talking about on the show, which is, how much does something have a sense of place and how much does it feel stereotypically of that place? You know, if we do a story about Japan, say, we're not going to score that with all Japanese music. And certainly in the Love Commandos, it's not scored through and through with Indian music. There's the theme. In fact, John, even some of your music contains a lot of bells. And we've done stories from China and we've had to actually mute the bells because we think, oh, no, 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 it's, it's a little too... On the nose, a little, you know, but at the same time, we're we're a show that wants to take you places. Like literally, that is the definition of the show: to take you on a journey. I'm curious what all of you think about that debate between hmm. that sense of place in music and what your advice is for, you know, other musicians, maybe other podcasters who are trying to commission work like this. I think it all 
ultimately serves the story. Like that's why we're all here. We're telling some sort of a story. Gregory, you're telling a story with voice yeah. and your words and your phrasing. John is telling his story with his performances or his music and his, his instrument. We're all telling our own stories some, mm. some way. And if the story wants bells, then it wants bells. <laughs> More cowbell. I think yeah. that's yeah, I think that's, <laughs> that's how I look at it. Like you zoom out and you see the bigger picture. Like what what are you serving? What's the purpose and the intention of this? And then you go from there. Mm. As you thought about your references and your own roots, both in Hindustani classical music, the film scores that you'd grown up with. Did you think about the fact that you were then translating this or that it was going to be heard by an audience who are basically, oh, oh, this is an Indian version of the rough translation theme? Was that a, in any kind of thought for you or a burden for you or thinking, okay, we do want to use this or this is too obvious in terms of instrumentation or this is actually where we want to be? The question of representation, did it come up at all? It definitely did. Hmm. And we thought a lot about it. I wouldn't say feeling pressured, but we were aware what we're representing. We've been brought on for a reason. And at some point, art serves a purpose. Music serves a purpose as telling a story. And also, like you've got to respect where it's coming from. So we thought a lot about instrumentation and which instruments to go for. For example, when I was when I started doodling on this, hmm. uh, I thought to myself, I'm not even going to go to my sitar patch because that's just too cliche. Everybody's had <laughs> enough of it. And it's a very common Indian instrument that you hear in the Western world. Hmm. So I was like, why, why don't we try something different? So we use santur ultimately for the foundation of this piece. Uh, which is another string instrument. So you ditch the sitar and use santur. It's interesting. It's like a dulcimer. Yeah, it's the it's oh. exactly it's the Indian dulcimer, uh, but it allowed us to form melodies from it and arpeggiate on it and do things that were able to represent chord progressions for us. Then, for example, for percussion, we used a lot of early Indian percussions that you find in a lot of Indian folk music. There's a clay pot instrument. There are these bells uh, called gungrus. The clay pot instrument's called ghatam. All of these very, very Indian sounds that we really wanted to use for this because we felt we were representing this story from there. Can I ask a little bit about that? So those instruments, do they exist in your computer? Who played them ultimately, I guess? So the flute uh, was played by a friend of ours, was recorded live. Um, obviously, Amira sang the vocals and everything else was performed by me on the keyboards because of budget restraints and recording restraints and all of that. My husband is uh, an Indian percussion player as well, so we got him to record some stuff for us. But minus the percussions, the flute and the voice, I have like contact libraries or other libraries for that I used and I got them into my MIDI keyboard and I just performed it. Play it, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just play and it. There's a, a lot of things you did with like reverb and panning where things are moving across the spectrum across the field mm -hmm. uh, like very wide movement like mm -hmm. to, what was your thinking around tr trying to do that i usually love playing around with space in my music and for this one i wanted to experiment with the mix and how you perceive it uh, again owing to the story so if amira's voice was being panned left and right and modulated that was because we weren't sure where that voice is coming from, meaning 
what was happening next in the story, where is this going to go? We don't know. So I was trying to attach all those things to the actual podcast in a way and how would the podcast sound in form of music? Hmm. John, did you, I'm curious with your experience of listening to this, did, did it feel like looking in a mirror at all? Or did you mostly hear it as its own piece? I, I, I was almost thinking yeah, of it. it. Yeah. I hear it as being really cool. I guess I, I don't hear it really as connected to, to the thing that I made. I mean, I heard it as its own separate thing. What do you guys think? Yeah, when we, when we were thinking about how to approach it, initially, you know, just for the sense of continuity, we, th- we thought of doing an Indianized version of John's theme. And then to Vasu's point, she said, okay, if we have gotten the free reign to explore, why don't we do that? Obviously, we took some inspiration from John's piece in terms of like, again, space. He had created a lot of space in terms of like the frequency that each instrument had taken. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but... Um, it just felt very clean, you know, like the bass had this frequency range and it was, <laughs> it was good there. We felt like every instrument found its space and there was a lot of dialogue between it. We took inspiration in that sense, but not melodically or harmonically. But a, a consideration was your voice, Gregory, because, you know, I sing and for sung voice, spoken voice to come together, especially when they're in a similar range, because you don't speak in a very, it's more animated even though it's a serious topic in a way, because mm-hmm. my singing voice is also in that range, which is not hyper shrill or not as deep as a male range would be. So mm-hmm. there were like certain clashes happening there. And we had to figure out how do we approach this? What octave do we sing it in? Then we were exploring with the kind of sounds. I mean, we went back and forth to the extent of should we do mm, or should we do like that was making a difference where to have it you know should we have it at the back should we have it in front and then Vasu had said something really interesting she said all the time voices served as or like represented as something in the forefront like an instrument that has to have its own limelight Um, but what if for this piece we just purely uh, use it as a textual sound that you know to have that humanity because when you have voice in any piece, it gives it a human character. Right. At the same time, for it not to be clashing with what you're doing or what Mansi would be doing. Right. So it was in the background. It was like a floating thing that I exist. I'm here, but I'm not in your face. Which is such a big deal. Or just to say that when we're scoring, we're often wanting to use pieces with some vocals. But it's really difficult because the vocals in the music conflict with the speaking that we're that we're doing on top of it. And it's it's too bad. So it's amazing that you threaded that needle of being able to vocalize a piece that was still going to be spoken over. So when you were making it, you were imagining, and did you guys have his voice? So during this process of figuring out the voice, I think, Amira, you had recorded a piece of one of Gregory's podcasts, recorded it, onto her laptop and then put that audio file onto Logic mm-hmm. and then we placed our theme track over it. And just we were saying trying some to, other like, thing. We, yeah, and you we were trying to yeah. figure out that we just wanted to use your vocal sample and see how you speak. And that played such an important role in how we treated the vocals and how we decided it should be mm and not ah, uh, how we decided mm. the vocal range. We tried all sorts of things. I mean, we have so many versions of this theme track with Amira singing one octave higher, like really low, really stretching her vocal range. But this is the one that I think worked the best. I'm just selfishly curious as to what clip of our show that you used as the, as the audio. I'm so, it was the one from Ukraine. The most recent one about the journey of uh, abortion pills to Ukraine. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of this as you interpreting John's theme, which is what you were doing, but you were also thinking about the speakers that were going to be on top of the work. So you were thinking about the of the person that was not there, which is me and and Monsi Choksi and Lauren Frere. Even the flute, because the flute had it much higher mm-hmm. in range but it's also set an Indian instrument we had to figure out how does that fit into the pocket like it's like a call and response with the voice yeah but if you listen to the track there's a, sort of an A and a B section of it that's how I see it uh, they both have the same santur arpeggiation the harmonical bed but the context of it changes so A is when it starts it's just one pad and santur very floaty and very there's a whole emotional arc because you're, the story you're talking about two lovers and they meet and they're excited and then they find this group the love commandos this is sort of a gray zone i'm not sure what's happening uh, am i gonna like, get out of this and win my love and then mm. b comes in with the same harmonic progression but the context totally changes. I introduce some really ambiguous gray pads almost. The vocals are more prominent. The flute comes in only and be like, there's so many differences between the two. And those differences are because the context of the story changes. So how do we represent that in the music? Well, this reminds me of some of the conversations that John, you and I had, where we talked about uh, the arc of the trajectory of the tune, kind of entering different state changes and concrete, like this right. is A, this is the moment of this, and then something turns, the emotion changes, it now becomes the B section. Right. It's interesting to talk about what creates difference and also what creates, like, your, this gray zone idea is an interesting idea, but, like, just choosing what the key is is going to create how it feels, it's going to affect how it feels. So, like, all of those decisions it make a big impact. Well, I'm curious, but given that you guys started with this a kind of more defined version of the assignment, like, we're going to make an Indian version of this theme. And perhaps you even have a, a version in your laptop somewhere that is that. But as it evolved, you you started borrowing not the mel- melody and not the harmony, but rather things like sense of space and dryness uh, and other, other aspects. Right. What has this whole process taught you about translation or reimagining, if we're going to call it that? I keep going back to individual expressions and... You know, the concept of nature and nurture, you grow up in a certain way and you imbibe all these things unintentionally, unknowingly. So you're inputting all of these things. And then one day, 10 years later, maybe maybe when you try to output something, it's a collaboration of everything that you ever inputted in some way or the other that you don't quite know. And that's uniquely you. And that's the translation for me. That's the process of translation for me. Hmm. When you hear something, you absorb it. And the way that you express, you don't sometimes know what's going to come out, but you trust your instinct. If it feels like you and feels like what you bring to the table is what's coming out, then I think that's a a true translation, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think a lot of times with music and storytelling, it goes back to what, what I always think about is that there's the music itself, what it actually is. And then there's the story that we hang on it. And the story has to do with where does it come from and who is the person who made it. And, and we will change our perception of that music based on who we think did it. Like, who, what are they like? What do we know about them? What story are we trying to tell? If you take a certain piece of music and you put it behind a, a certain type of scene, 
You can take very happy music and put it behind a really scary scene in a movie and suddenly it will have a whole different sinister feeling, right? Like the music, it is a thing that exists independently, but we're storytellers, like humans, that's what we do, we tell stories. So we're going to change that perception of what that is just by the story that we're telling about it. You know, and that's, I think, part of the translation process of like how music is, is used to tell stories, how it's, how it's translated into this storytelling. Well, this discussion has filled me with gratitude. So thank you, really. I, and I think listeners will be grateful just, just to think about all the work that was put into the music and in the themes and um, trusting, as you said, that, you know, the music changes based on the story told by it and over it. And so thanks for trusting us to, you know, tell the, tell the story over it. Uh, and I say over it, but with it. I mean, it does feel like more of a dance. And so it's been incredible to dance with these compositions. So thanks so much for the, uh, for the chance to talk, all of you. Thank you. Thank you, really. Thank you all. And that's it for this bonus episode of Love Commandos from Rough Translation. It was produced by Chow Tu, edited by Liana Simstrom and Irene Noguchi, mastered by James Willits. We'll have links in our show notes for how you can follow each of our composers. If you want to follow me, check out my Substack. It's an email newsletter where if you subscribe for free, you get a new story from me every week in your inbox. We're going to travel together. We're going to meet interesting folks. It's going to be a great ride. Check it out at gregorywarner.substack.com. NPR is going to be releasing a few more Love Commandos bonus episodes over the next few weeks. To get those, you'll have to head over to NPR's Embedded podcast feed and sign up for Embedded Plus. If you sign up, you'll get benefits like sponsor-free listening, early access to new episodes, and some special bonus episodes like this one. So go sign up by finding NPR's Embedded channel in Apple or go to plus.npr.org slash embedded. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Gregory Warner, and this is Rough Translation. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Lisa. When you buy a Lisa mattress, you're not the only one getting a better night's rest. Lisa donates thousands of mattresses each year to shelters and those in need. Learn more about Lisa at leesa.com. At this year's Oscars, Oppenheimer took home the award for Best Picture, Emma Stone and Robert Downey Jr. also picked up wins, and Ryan Gosling brought the Kennergy. For a recap of all the highlights, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.